There will be spoilers on this podcast, so if you don't want to be spoiled for this book, stop listening now. Hi, my dogs and doggets. I'm Lena. And I'm Nadine. I'm a writer and a critic. I work in book publishing. We're lesbians. And we're in love. This is Thinking Straight, a bi-weekly podcast where we read and analyze contemporary heterosexual romance novels. We love women and we want women's interests to be taken seriously, which is why we're making this podcast. So if you enjoy any of the books we talk about, please know that we love that for you. And we're roasting them from a place of love of the genre and its readers. We hope this podcast makes you laugh or makes you think, ideally both. So without further ado, let's get into this week's book. This week, we read Rules for Heiresses by Amelie Howard. Lena, why did we pick this book? Um, so I went to a fun little swap event with some friends where we were swapping books and like clothes and home goods and stuff. And I was only able to be there for like 20 minutes because I also had to go to a family thing. And I rolled up and immediately my friend who was running this whole thing, Caitlin, shout out to Caitlin, just like saddled me with like 15 romance novels Um, because she knew about this podcast and she is a romance girly. And I believe she was a part of the Ripped Bodice's book club, she said. The Ripped Bodice being a romance-specific bookstore that has a location in L.A. and just opened one in Brooklyn recently. Woo! Woo! Uh, Sponsor us. (laughs) (laughs) And Rules for Heiresses was on this pile. I basically handed the pile to Nadine. It was technically her week to make the official decision. Yeah. And I read a bunch of the synopses, and uh, this one seemed like the best bet for a podcast read. There were some that seemed more boring than this one, potentially, and there were some that seemed like they would actually be really good. And so this was a nice middle of the road of like, I think there's going to be something weird about this one. Um, <laughs> but but also it's not going to be like torture, probably. So was that you'll accurate? Find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell the people what this was about, my love. Okay, so... It's the summer of 1864, and Lady Ravenna Huntley, the unwed sister to the English Duke of Embry, has cut her hair, disguised herself as a man, and stowed away on a ship to the British West Indies, on the run from her latest would-be suitor, and seeking an anonymous adventure without the encumbrance of social expectations of a woman in her position. At the Starlight Hotel on Antigua, Lady Ravenna, alias Raven Hunt, (laughs) that's her drag name, is accused of cheating at cards by the handsome hotel owner, Mr. Chase. They get into a verbal altercation as Ravenna tries to make a run for it without her winnings, but are interrupted by the arrival of a solicitor from London who announces to the room that the Duke of Ashvale has passed away and his grandson, Lord Cortland Chase, his heir, has been named the new Duke. Ravenna gasps in recognition. The handsome man isn't just a wealthy shipping merchant, but the long-lost childhood friend she hadn't seen in nearly two decades, and whom until this moment everyone had thought was dead. (gasps) (gasps) Cortland tries to brush off the shocking news and get back to apprehending his would-be thief, um, and she's still in disguise right now. And Ravenna, faced with a threat of a strip search and a night in the town square's stocks, decides to reveal that she's actually a woman. Realizing who she is, Cortland chastises her for her dangerous behavior and vows to escort her back to London, and Ravenna points a gun at him in an attempt to secure her getaway and preserve her freedom. He tackles her to wrest the weapon away, and it misfires, and in the ensuing chaos, they end up on the ground and somehow instantly are both horny about it. 
Cortland's right-hand man bursts through the door to find them making out on the ground, starting to undress, and half the hotel is crowded into the hallway and sees it, too. With both their reputations on the line, a solution is quickly decided upon against essentially both of their wills. They will claim to have been already engaged and marry immediately on the island, and then travel back to London together as the Duke and Duchess, at least until Cortland can sort out his affairs. That is like the first 40 pages Not of the novel. even. <laughs> Literally, that's like chapters one and two. Page 27, this is decided upon. <laughs> Just to give you guys an idea. I, yeah. It is off to the races real quick. And then it's like, to quote Taylor Allison Swift, it's like driving a new Maserati down a dead end street. Because <laughs> um, shit's about to slow right on down. All right, Going babe. real fast to nowhere. Yep. What okay. happens next? So amidst this marriage of convenience, uh, the rest of the novel's plot unfolds. The first major point of conflict is that Cortland's right to the dukedom is disputed by his half-brother and his stepmother on account of his pedigree. Cortland's mother, who died in childbirth, was a woman of, quote, mixed heritage, whose grandmother was a black woman from the West Indies. After Cortland's father died when he was a teenager, his stepmother sent him away, which he was more than happy about, and in the intervening years, the family spread the word that Cortland had tragically died in the West Indies. Portland doesn't even want the title of Duke and hopes to abscond back to Antigua as soon as possible after their visit to London. The other major conflict is the tension within their relationship. Without consulting with Ravenna, Cortland decides on their wedding night that this marriage will purely be for show because he wants to preserve Ravenna's freedom as much as her reputation. He intends for them to stay in London long enough and then allow her to claim whatever she wants about him, adultery, abuse, infertility, in order to secure a divorce. Then they can part ways and he can return to the island. Ravenna, on the other hand, has begrudgingly accepted her fate, rationalizing that of all the people to be married to, at least it's someone she's actually attracted to, which is an apparently rare phenomenon for her. But Cortland is determined that their marriage must be a celibate one, so that Ravenna won't lose her freedom by accidentally becoming a mother. Without explaining himself, he continually pushes her away and tries to control her choices. They do eventually succumb to the pull of their mutual attraction after icy weeks turn into months of them avoiding each other around the London townhouse and sleeping in separate rooms. Socially, things become complicated as tensions mount between Cortland and his family, and another subplot unfolds in which Cortland and his friends are attempting to expose the smuggling crimes of a hyperbolically evil American merchant, Mr. Summers, who is not only on the side of the South in the ongoing Civil War, but also intentionally misquotes the Bible to justify his actions, so you know he's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> there are not one, but two attempted murder plots, legal drama, this is all less exciting than it sounds by the way. Legal drama in which Cortland is framed for the crimes he's trying to catch Summers committing, a grand ball, and an anticlimactic finale in which Cortland decides to get over himself, basically, and the couple realizes they've been perfect for each other all along. <gasps> wow. In the epilogue, Cortland and Ravenna live near the beach in Antigua and have a toddler and another baby on the way, and everyone lives happily ever after. They, like, they have sex in the ocean. They have sex in the ocean, which was foreshadowed earlier in the book. <laughs> yeah, they like summer in Antigua or something. They, mm -hmm. they do the society time in mm -hmm. London, question mark, and then they go to Antigua the rest of the year. Uh, sweet. Honey, what's the good news? So... 
I think this book was published in 2021. So clearly Bridgerton inspired, or at least in the vein of, of that sort of thing. I have never watched Bridgerton. I have no idea what I'm talking about as usual, but I, I mean, think it's... As the Bridgerton watcher in this relationship, <laughs> but also like as someone who looked into the author a little bit, like I think perhaps it was a stars aligning thing because we should say this is a series like they're standalones but they're all related the book preceding this one in the series has a mixed race indian heroine which definitely like bridgerton season two had super not come out by the time that was happening so bridgerton obviously didn't invent diverse historical romance. Amelie Howard, the author herself, identifies as being of Indo-Caribbean descent. Uh, she's from Trinidad and Tobago, like born and raised. So clearly this is something that was close to her heart. So where were you going with the Bridgerton comparison? Oh, I was just going to say, if you like that sort of thing, like if you like Bridgerton, clearly this is a book that is trying to get into what would racism look like in this situation. Historically inclined, but a little ahistorical in some other ways also that we'll talk about. Technologically, for example, there's there's some things. I mean, she's taken her liberties. I think, yeah, she plays a little fast and loose. But again, as the non-Bridgerton watcher in this relationship, I think you are severely underestimating how batshit Bridgerton is. Because <laughs> I think this is fairly well-informed. And if anything, I think playing it maybe a little bit too safe in terms of historical representations mm. of aristocratic racism or like someone of mixed race being in the aristocracy because in her author's note at the end of the book Howard says that she based Cortland on the movie Bell which is about uh, this woman Dido Elizabeth Bell who was the mixed race daughter of a nobleman at some point in Regency England but you know Dido Elizabeth Bell was half black <laughs> or she mm -hmm. had a black mother and Cortland has a black great grandmother yeah and He's described as being basically a little tan. Well, the, the interesting <laughs> thing is that sometimes he's described as basically just being a little tan, and then other times they it's like his really warm like brown play skin. It up. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like I actually had no idea how to picture this guy. If you look up the cover or you're seeing it in our post on Instagram, it's just like your typical Fabio looking guy. He looks kind of cover. Italian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he definitely looks more Italian than anything else. So um, like I respect the issues that Howard is trying to delve into. Like, of course, at this time, English nobility would be that exacting about having right. that the one level. drop rule. Yeah. Like, yeah, like racism is that bad for Shersies. They are literally 30 years away from having abolished slavery. Yeah. But like interacting with this as a modern text, it's like, okay, obviously there's some kind of pull for diversity, but like not really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and especially yeah. Since this is coming after a book where the heroine was literally like an Indian princess, like yeah. I think it's like it's a different kind of like, like situation, <laughs> right? If you're looking for your like black, you know, Indo-Caribbean yeah. hero, this is like not this book. don't get excited. <laughs> <laughs> just just as a heads up, yeah. Like Cortland has his journey, and I feel like it's mm -hmm. fairly cool. Like he is really excited to go back to Antigua and like yeah. meet his mother's family, and I find that very charming. Mm -hmm. Like there's even some literary criticism that goes on with like the criticism of Jane Eyre like specifically yeah 
saying that like women in the West Indies were like hot blooded because of the climate or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, Amelie Howard sort of like subtly calls that out as kind of whack in the narrative, but it does feel a little half-assed. If what she was going for was for this group of people to sort of like have their historical moment. Right. Yeah. Honestly, I would have been much more compelled if there was like more of that in the plot in a way that felt substantial and like meaningful. Bridgerton Um, is basically the entire opposite end of the spectrum where black people are just like everywhere, literally. And and, like the queen is black and she's like, remember how I solved racism when the king married me? And everyone's like, yeah, that was so like chill of you. Girl boss. (laughs) It's like, and it only took like 10 years or something for everyone to just be like, anyways. So like, love to see diversity in historical romance. Mm -hmm. Like, at the end of the day, these are fantasies. Like, I'm not trying to be a stickler for the historical (laughs) representation in a book where also a woman comes after her clit is, like, vaguely pressed. Yeah. Like, immediately. (laughs) But it does seem like, you know, sort of a principle of the project was to inject some diversity into Mm -hmm. this typically very white subgenre of literature. And I don't know that that was entirely successful. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Anything else you want to talk about with good news? You like historical romances, and I traditionally don't. I was going to be like, no, I don't. But, like, I, I love <laughs> I loved that Jane Austen shit. Like, exactly. Yeah. I mean, okay, I think, once again, we talked about this last episode, and I did not articulate myself well at that time. But it's the longing, baby. It's the longing. Okay, it's the, so, like, so it's like rushing hands and like looking at each other across the ballroom, and the like. That's what's so good about it. Like everyone's so restrained and okay. like buttoned up, and they're so longing for each other. And I, I think that's very compelling. Okay. So, and this book did not deliver on that in any sense. No, they just like get down to business. They get down to business, but then they also are like, and also we'll never talk and I won't explain anything to you yeah. and then we'll just magically figure it out in yeah. the end. No, I actively like didn't want them to get down to business. I literally just wanted them to like speak to each other. <laughs> yeah. um, I was like, I don't care. Like, yeah. yeah. And also like the sex was not exciting because it was just like the best, most mind-blowing sex ever like for both of them all the time. Like literally to the extent where he like puts some pressure near her clitoris for like 10 seconds and then sticks a finger inside of her and she starts coming Mm -hmm. and I'm just like come on um (laughs) anyway we'll get into that in a second yeah we're getting we're getting ahead of ourselves we're getting ahead of ourselves well this is I mean I don't have good news in terms of historical romance longing for this if you like the details of like historical clothing, like all the you know the buttons and the what chemises. Are chemises and the yes, Lena was like <laughs> we were talking to our our friend uh, Dana, who is a big fan of historical romance and historical clothing specifically, like historical fashion. And <laughs> Lena was like, "What the fuck is the lawn of her chemise?" And, <laughs> And Jaina was like, oh, well, lawn is a type of cotton fabric and blah, blah, blah. And we were like, oh, okay. Well, I don't know what I was picturing when I read that, but cool. Thanks. Yeah, there was multiple mentions of lawn, but like, then I Googled it and it was like, it's a fabric. And I was like, awesome. It's like if someone was talking about driving a Hibberty gibbet and I was like, okay. And I looked up Hibberty gibbet and it's like, that's a kind of car. It's like, yeah, I... I understood at least that much. (laughs) But yeah, she gets like into it with Mm -hmm. dialect, slang, uh, clothing. They they couldn't countenance that 
blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yes. yes, they they do they speak very proper. But you also, I think you were like into kind of the I hate like it is an active turn off for me in literature if it's like oh like what's happening in the ton like what's the scuttlebutt among like Like, i could not care less about like social politics in historical romances but you said that that was maybe doing something for you i just think i don't hate it as much as you do the drama that was happening in this wasn't that compelling to me for other reasons but like in general yeah when there's like some gossip like everyone's whispering in the ballroom that's good shit i don't know i think it's kind of fun okay it's just like drama it's just drama i just wish like these characters would get real problems um (laughs) (laughs) is how i feel whenever i have to read something like this to be fair i think i might have mentioned this on the pod before but nadine did show me the Joe Wright directed Kira Knightley, Matthew McFadden, Pride and Prejudice for the first time about six months ago now, probably. Yeah. That was a very important turning point in our relationship. We're going to work our way up to the Colin Firth of BBC <laughs> miniseries. miniseries Pride and Prejudice, which is like five hours long. We're going to work our way up there. We couldn't start mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love them both for different reasons, but it's a lot more of the boring stuff <laughs> in, in the, the miniseries. Yeah, I'm like, oh, they don't like her because her mom's kind of weird? Okay, that's character motivation, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's just like this... I don't know. Stuff was so, like, magnified then, because, like... Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's just part of, like, globalization and us being so much more aware of the world than anybody was at that time. But I'm just like, who cares? However, I fuck heavily with the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice. Like, to be perfectly clear, put that on the record. (laughs) The, like, you know, hand touch going into the carriage scene, like, Mm -hmm. fully worked on me. The rain confrontation. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. Drama. The drama. Drama. Would I personally give a guy a second chance if I overheard him talking about, like, how much he fucking hated my guts? Like, probably not. But she was barely tolerable. Yeah, she's on her own journey, and I'm glad it worked out for her. (laughs) In Bad News Corner, what's happening between our lovers here is that Cortland just, like, straight up does not respect (laughs) Ravenna. God, I hate that motherfucking name. (laughs) Um, <laughs> before we started recording this, I was like, we can't get too mad about this book just because we think it's mediocre because we did that with Wildfire, but it's well, too late. We're well, already mad. I'm sorry. Ravenna is such a stupid ass name. <laughs> and the hero's name in the first book, who is Ravenna's brother, is named Riston. R-H-Y-S-T-A-N. And when we were talking to our friends about it last night, I was like, girl, this is Regency England, not fucking 2022 Utah. Like, (laughs) his name should be fucking William or (laughs) Henry or something. Anyway, fucking Ravenna. Ravenna and Cortland. Ravenna and Cortland. Cortland, like, literally just does not respect Ravenna because she is a woman. That is just a thing happening in the book. Mm -hmm. And, like, I understand obviously that social mores were not in women's favor at this time (laughs) however if you want to do this like cool fantasy girl boss romance thing which she is very much doing at least on ravenna's behalf yeah where ravenna is like dashing around in drag like Mm -hmm. learning about sex from the sailors on the ship that she's on Mm -hmm. why is it then also sexy for your hero to be like 
if you were my woman, I would have put you over my knee for doing that, i.e. leaving your house. <laughs> um, I mean, like, leaving your house, being in drag, being around men, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't proper. But, like, I understand there are social mores, but it's like, okay, you have this white heroine who is like, I don't give a fuck that there's, like, Indo-Caribbean descent in your family tree. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Like, and she's clearly kind of a wish-fulfillment stand-in. Right, like, right. What is the problem with I don't like this author and her readership that it's like ooh like he kind of hates me because I'm female. <laughs> like, well, yeah, and and there's so much like Ravenna is super headstrong and like this whole subplot I was talking about where they're trying to like catch this smuggler guy in the act. Like she's like I'm gonna go out and do some spy shit and yeah. like she's sneaking out of the house to do that. But he's like you can't go anywhere. You can't go visit whatever. Like he really is like keeping her on lock. And of course he thinks he's doing this so he can preserve her future freedom and he's just got to like keep her locked down here so she doesn't i don't know go embarrass herself on the town which she's already said she doesn't care about the ton the ton sorry the ton (laughs) which was always italicized in the book for some reason i'm sure there are just basic things about regency literature that we just don't understand (laughs) yeah if you're Um, a historical romance girl you're like oh they don't know about don't write in about it i don't fucking care (laughs) i won't read your email um (laughs) i will i want to know (laughs) write nadine um nadine.m.santora (laughs) gmail.com but like I just don't understand why is this the fantasy? And I get that it's an extension of all these modern romances we've read where it's like, oh, he wants to protect me. Oh, he's like possessive of me. And like, Mm -hmm. we've psychoanalyzed that to death, right? But like, this is historical romance where there is like literal socio-historical precedent for men thinking that women are their actual property and subhuman. (laughs) Like, I'm like... So, like, even in that environment, he can't be, like, I support you, honey. Like, he kind of does towards the end when they, like, randomly are like, oh, I've been in love with you since I was a child. Yeah. Total retcon. Yeah. He's like, oh, I always liked your spiritedness. It's like, oh, you were talking about literally beating her for it on, like, page 58. Um, So that's so weird. Um, Actually, on page 43... He says her sense of adventure should be characterized as absurdity. And she says, quote, why? Because I'm female? Because of my sex? And his pupils literally dilate and he starts like looking at her like, because she said the word sex. Because she said the word sex in the context of sexism. And instead of her being like, you should be medically castrated for the sake of society, (laughs) which I think is the rational response. Um, she's like, I love that he's turned on because I said the word sex. It's like, <laughs> like, <laughs> have you met a 12 year old? Like, cause they can also fulfill that fantasy for you. Like yeah. the fact that we have this like eroticism coupled with just outright misogyny <laughs> in an era where that is a particularly sensitive topic. Mm-hmm. And the novel is also trying to address it. Right. It's just like, it's so mind boggling to me. Yeah. Another thing that we found annoying was there was a lot of like Hades, Persephone (laughs) references and allusions. And once again, it's just like the chokehold that Hades and Persephone (laughs) 
has over the romance community cannot be understated, must be discussed. We're gonna have to talk about it again because it just keeps coming up. Everyone loves this shit and especially in the like toxic way like Mm -hmm. he's controlling me he's capturing me i'm here against my will which is sort of like the vibe here of like ah like you evil man like you're like haiti like she like gets really drunk on the ship on their way because she's like mad because he's ignoring her um of course without explaining that he's doing it because he's so horny that he can't like look at her without wanting to fuck her, so he's ignoring her, so he doesn't do that. Yeah. Um, you know, like when you like and respect someone. Yeah, when you respect women, a problem you have. Um, so <laughs> when you can like think about them as more than like a walking vagina. So she gets drunk and he like comes in and she's like so drunk that she's like doesn't realize it's him and she's like oh like you're the god hades and you're here she ostensibly drank an entire bottle of absinthe which absinthe actually did not ever cause hallucinations like uh van gogh and all those people just kind of like made that shit up um because they like (laughs) wait van gogh what does van gogh have to do with absinthe oh van gogh drank a shit ton of absinthe oh yeah but but it was like this sort of like mass psychosis among the artsy set, basically, that they're like absinthe makes you freak the fuck out. And there's like no actual evidence of that. Okay, so she's drunk on the ship and she's just like, I hate you, but also like you're so sexy. Well, she like also- literally ostensibly hallucinates that he is in fact the god Hades. Yeah. And she like calls him Hades and he's like, oh, she must really hate me because like Hades is terrible. But like... Her internal narrative is like, oh, it's kind of sexy, though. Yeah, like, oh, it's so hot. <laughs> Just, like, again, like, this is not 2023 Utah. Like, <laughs> fucking cool your jets. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, the ship. I have to talk about the ship because <laughs> Cortland, so he's, like, independently wealthy outside of being the Duke because he has this shipping empire and... His ships are so freaking high tech and fancy. Mm-hmm. He has some that are, you know, regular commercial liners, and then he has these new fancy passenger ships. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get from Antigua to London in six days. Yeah, guys, <laughs> I googled it immediately, <laughs> and simply not possible. Around this time in the 1860s, it took around like 20 to 30 days to do that. I read that there were some steamliners that could do it in like 10 to 14. But well, still, that's the fastest it gets. No, yeah, port to port in the Atlantic, six days. They're like, that's crazy. And yeah. I, I made a note that was like, I'll say. <laughs> Especially because I was reading Babel, or like finishing Babel by R.F. Kuang at the time that Nadine was reading the book before I got my hands on it. And so she had like just read this and she was like, could that happen in six days? I'm like, well, I just read in Victorian (laughs) England, like this heavily researched account of Victorian England, these people going from Oxford to Canton in China in like three months. (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to guess no. In her author's note, Howard did say she took some creative liberties with the ship designs, which, yeah, but yeah, absolutely wild (laughs) huge if true it's also like a mega mega luxury like chandeliers everywhere there's like gold shit and they basically have a house inside the ship like she has her own separate room that's like so spacious and there's this big library and yeah it's pretty outrageous i mean like sounds super lit but Mm -hmm. yeah i was literally like 
is it possible to <laughs> cross the ocean in 1860? Yeah. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> there is that. You know, ship enthusiasts, we ride at dawn. <laughs> The funny thing is also the author makes such a big deal about Ravenna being like so savvy with like because she like snuck over here on a ship and also like her brother's really into ships and like didn't want to get married because it was like his love is the sea and whatever. And, uh, you know, if you want to read about that, you can read the first book in this series. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it is very much like. She's throwing around all this ship lingo. It's cool girl shit. It's and like if she was into cars. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She's like, oh, it runs 12 knots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, like she knows all the technical stuff about that cool shit. She's not like other girls. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, I just I don't understand the hypocrisy of trying to do this. Like, this is a feminist historical romance when like. It is very much about how hot it is that this man is manly and domineering. A couple lines that have never made me feel gayer in my life. (laughs) Um, Quote, his shoulders were deliciously broad, his shape so palpably masculine that Ravenna couldn't stop from sighing. End quote. Can't relate. Have never related. (laughs) (laughs) I'm literally like, the men I'm like, oh yeah, like I get that. Or like, just... Twinks. (laughs) Timothy (laughs) Shalom. Troy Savon. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little stick bug guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's like, oh, his shoulders are like so broad. I'm like, (laughs) Uh, when they talk about like the waist tapering for a second, I'm like, oh. Oh. And then then it's like the hard V muscles leading down to like a patch of hair. I'm like, ah, you lost me again. (laughs) Um, Quote, her fingers scoured his hard back. The bunched strength there attests her fingers. I know. <laughs> there, the, <clears throat> quote, her fingers scoured his hard back. The bunched strength there, a testament to how careful he was being with her. Though she was not a small woman, a man of his size could crush her easily, end quote. After which I just wrote, hot, question mark. <laughs> like, even from a lesbian perspective, I have never understood the, like, crush me, step on me stuff. Yeah. It's not appealing to us, yeah. to say the least. I simply don't um, understand. I don't have, like, a smart reason for it, but, like, yeah. We just don't like it. If it's, like, wow, it especially in a male-female dynamic, to be, like, he could crush her easily, I'm, like... Don't do that. Yeah. Like, I hope not. I'm just, like, if you were a woman in a society where if your husband literally killed you, nothing would happen to mm-hmm. him, and you were, like, wow, this guy could kill me at any time... In what universe does that translate to, like, to borrow a phrase from the book, your nipples puckering in delight? Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so bad. I, I simply don't understand. Hi, editor's note. For the sake of accuracy, I was being hyperbolic when I said that a man could murder his wife and literally nothing would happen to him at this time in England. However, a man could certainly beat the hell out of his wife and probably nothing would happen to him and that is something that again our hero says that he would happily do if his wife were to return to her life of cross-dressing and exploring the seven seas so you know still not cool also in my little research into this aside i found out that the phrase rule of thumb 
comes from common law in Britain that said that men could beat their wives with sticks no thicker than their own thumbs. So, awesome. I feel like if you've ever heard people making fun of weird genitalia euphemisms in romance novels, they come from historical fiction. And and this book did not disappoint. There was a lot of talk of sheaths, mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. his staff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So much sheathing. Yeah. And, you know, the classic, like, he has a big dick, and also she's a virgin. Ugh. And she, like, literally bleeds when they have sex yeah, with her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that's so hot and sexy. And she doesn't tell him that she's a virgin because she doesn't want him to be weird about it, and then he is weird about it when he finds out afterward, mm-hmm. and it's, like, a whole thing. Which, um, like, I'm like, I think you should be as upfront as possible with your partner. Like, I, yeah. like intentionally hiding things about your sexual history from someone before you have sex with them. Like, yeah. Also, like... If you know that they're going to be weird to you about it, like, maybe don't have sex with them. Like, I feel like that's a pretty solid litmus. Yeah. Um, well, she, her whole thing is, like, the perhaps concerning thing here is she's like, oh, he's going to be so gentle with me, and, like, I don't want that. And it's like, well, maybe if you're going to bleed about it right now, then maybe he should be gentle with you. Like, if you're like, oh, that monster of a cock, like, I can, oh, I don't think they actually ever use the word cock in this book, but. Um, she was like, how could that monster possibly fit in me? And yeah. She, like, looks at him and she's like, you're very well endowed. Oh. oh, my God. And for the record, I'm not, like, gagging just about, you know, her being a virgin and bleeding, like, the, you know, destruction of the hymen as a symbol of the loss of virginity has been, like, very much medically disproven mm-hmm. <laughs> as, like, a one-to-one causation thing but like i thought that in juniper and thorn by ava reed there was like a fairly sexy hymen breaking loss of virginity (laughs) situation but that's because that was like a gothic romance she like rubbed her you know virginity blood on his face afterwards or something like like she got (laughs) fucking freaky about it yeah like I'm like, yeah, own that shit. Like, <laughs> like it just feels like you are adopting 19th century politics in your, right. like, 2021 romance novel. Right, yeah, no. It's, like, she's embarrassed about it. He's weird about it. The sex scenes were boring, mostly, <laughs> and then bad in those regards. There's also a clear, like, foot fetish going on here. Um, Th- there is a little sprinkle. She was like... A little I will sprinkle of... in the fact that I have a foot fetish. <laughs> like, he's, like, you know, like, describing the arch of her feet and, like, kissing her feet. And it's, like, hmm. There's just, like, a solid paragraph and a half that I was, like, why is that in there, Amelie? <laughs> if you're into feet, check out this book. Because there's some content for you. Yeah, a little Quentin Tarantino moment mm-hmm. happening there. Yeah. Um, before we move on from the sex, I will continue my, you know, sort of, begun tirade from earlier <laughs> um which is just that this woman comes so goddamn easily uh it's genuinely annoying and i was talking to nadine about like i am a very smart modern woman i was not a certified sex educator but i was selling sex toys to people in a you know informed way for a couple of years and i've literally researched this stuff it has been a part of my professional life and yet I'm in an audiobooks phase. I've been listening to just like nonstop trashy romance audiobooks and then like, you know, reading two of these a month for the podcast. And I like 
<laughs> noticed myself starting to like get kind of a complex about thinking that sex is as cut and dry and mm -hmm. like easy and especially like for women and for the female body as these books make it out to be. I cannot speak to the male experience. Um, I, I hear that the rumors are true, that it is fairly easy to make that happen <laughs> for you guys. But the female sexual ecosystem is a complex thing. And in my lesbian experience, um, you cannot necessarily like make a woman come in two minutes um, like, <laughs> and, and like for some people you can and for some women you can't and to like that's I think what you're getting at is the sort of like ubiquitous you know in every single romance novel especially when you're consuming them at this incredible rate you're just being constantly shown all of these scenes where it's like and then every orgasm I had happened in three seconds flat and it was the most amazing sex of my life and it's yeah. like that's not how life works like you could have an amazing super satisfying sex life and still have a hard time getting off sometimes or like need a really particular sort of thing to get off that's like a very normal thing for women or you could just not always have the best sex of your life every time you have sex like that's I mean it's not how it works but it's also like so common for women to like literally have never gotten off with a partner mm -hmm. like to only have gotten off by masturbating and again like yes it's good that you underscored that like I'm not saying there is a correct experience here what I'm right. saying is that the overwhelming saturation of one experience, mm -hmm. which is, I would argue, rare on the one. rare end yeah. of the spectrum, um, makes like the actual normal experience <laughs> of like female sexual pleasure seem not normal, which is weird. Uh, yeah. And like you know, as a woman, it, it was odd to sort of like notice myself get into my head about this a little bit. And if that's the experience you're having as someone who knows better, like right. it, for so many reasons, like right. what must this be doing to the psyches Dude. and sex lives of the average straight woman out there who is maybe not even someone who considers herself a feminist or like knows about any of this at all. Like I've right. never had sex education for real, right. you know? I'm like, how um, many women out there just like resent the living shit out of their husbands because they aren't these like, you know, magical like <laughs> lovers that can yeah. just like push their clitoris once and like it's the magic button to yeah. unlock their orgasm. Or, like they don't have like, you know, infinite stamina or they don't, you know, want to do all these wacky things that their hashtag book boyfriends are doing. You know, like it's, <laughs> I mean, like we're getting into anthropology corner here, but I think it's a great segue because pff, what? It's concerning. It is concerning. And it is something that I have seen book talk girlies, like bookstagram girlies who are really entrenched in this romance community and even like on Goodreads and stuff, seen a lot of women say like, I feel like romance books have ruined mm -hmm. real men for me, mm -hmm. you know? And it's just like, that's not good. Like, yeah, I feel like if you're reading a romance book and then you sort of like get in the mood and then you go like tap your partner on the shoulder and you're like, hey, let's get it on. Like, that's fun. That's great. Yeah. I love that. But like, if you're reading a romance book and then it's making you feel more dissatisfied with your life and then you're just like further escaping into this unachievable fantasy of like everything is mind blowing and hypersensitive and so like perfect every time. Right. And you know, it's almost it's like simple. an addiction at that right. point because yeah. you're just like chasing like more and more of a high. And obviously we've talked about, you know, some of the darker implications of this around like 
kink and, more aggressive yeah. you know sexuality and stuff but yeah i mean just in terms of like romance ruining sex for mm-hmm. people like i think that's just what i'm trying to get at is yeah. like if again i can sort of be in what one might consider like the most enlightened possible mm-hmm. position and still be like oh like shouldn't it be easier to like get my partner off or get myself off or whatever right. the hell like when i know that that's literally not reality and mm-hmm. like whatever i've decided to check out from libby that week like <laughs> is not reality because i don't know some movie star is not gonna fall in love with some random girl because they meet over email or whatever the hell you know like this is all selling a fantasy. Uh-huh. But I think because, like, we are in such a repressed society where mm-hmm. talk about sex and especially about female sexual experience and the female orgasm is so taboo, I feel like these novels are sort of scratching that itch for women in mm-hmm. a lot of ways mm-hmm. of just, like, oh, we can talk about this. Like, oh, like, female sexual pleasure, like, matters right. in this space. Right. And, like, I mean, I would be lying if I said, like, it didn't scratch that itch for me. No, like, totally. I, you know, I grew up in a society where I had no idea, you know, what the clitoris was until mm-hmm. I was in college, probably. <laughs> and, like, there's a reason for that. Right. <laughs> but, like, at the same time, you're not shattering a taboo if you're lying about the thing that you're mm, talking about, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it's a lot of, I feel, trying to have your cake and eat it too mm-hmm. kind of situation. And maybe, I don't know, like maybe there are a ton of women out there who know exactly what they're about. This is just like what they do for fun. Like, mm-hmm. they're totally able to like compartmentalize it. But I do feel like a At lot of the- for some women. A lot of the quote unquote <laughs> jokes I see on social media, like, really bum me the fuck out. Um, <laughs> I saw this one woman who's, like, big into reading romance who said that she, like, like, her neighbor told her, like, she needed to be, like, more quiet or something, and she said, like, make me. Um, yeah. No, that, like, literally makes me want to bury myself alive. Um, it's like, to what extent are, are we, like- Poisoning our brains. Yeah, poisoning our brains. Like, I mean, forget like completely dismantling the project of feminism as a general concept, (laughs) but also just like living these further striated and isolated and like digitized lives, like where the little stories that we're projecting into our brains, whether via audio or visual, Mm -hmm. like are our truth and like are where we want to live because the real world is complicated and not awesome all the time. And like sex is not going to be mind blowing and amazing a hundred percent of the time. And that's where a lot of the fun and the growth and the exploration happens. And yeah, like you're supposed to ask questions about your partner. You're supposed to get to know them better. Things change over time. Like it's just yes. part of a normal experience and I think can be really lovely if you're coming at it not thinking about like sex and sexuality as like a problem to be fixed or something to be optimized mm. but it's just like a way to connect with someone and have fun and feel good like right it's yeah I and, and I do think you know obviously all these books are also super like orgasm is the ultimate end goal and like if it's not you know the most amazing thing that's ever happened to you like what's the point like mm-hmm. you know it's just like that's not what sex is for a lot yeah. of people and yeah and I think especially for a lot of women so totally I mean Oof. I specifically rapid fire imbibed the Delilah Green doesn't care trilogy which mm-hmm. are these sort of like mainstream lesbian romances and the third one like the meat cute is kind of this like 
bad hookup situation like they're gonna hook up but one of the characters is so anxious that she like throws up on the other one (laughs) and I was like that's refreshing but like when these women do actually like get in the position to have sex of course it's like fireworks and like unparalleled chemistry and like Mm -hmm. you'll never feel anything like this with another person ever Mm -hmm. like and just like the amount of pressure that we put on romantic relationships in our society is fucking insane Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like for me to have gotten that from like these three female female romances in a row that was what was really doing my head in when people who are supposed to understand like my own experience are still buying into this fantasy right i think that was sort of like what got me on this Mm -hmm. little mind fuck and so yeah it made me think about the broader implications for women reading novels like this i mean the fact that i would say this is maybe the most egregious he barely does anything to her and she is just like off like a shot and it's just like yeah like you can be more sensitive if you have not had sex like Mm -hmm. new experiences are stimulating like great but like it would be very rare for it to be as easy (laughs) for this woman as it is in this book. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, she, you know, comes, like, vaginally from, like, nothing, basically, mm-hmm. at one point. And to bring it all the way back to episode one, that was one of the things that I was actually really stoked about in It Happened One Summer, was that they have this, like, crazy scrabbling, like, hospital sex, mm-hmm. like, P&B, and the heroine has a vaginal orgasm. And she immediately goes to her sister and is like, what the fuck? She's like, he made me have a vaginal, like, that's fucking crazy. (laughs) And so it's like, if we're going to be like this hyperbolic and whatever, can we at least acknowledge like how rare this is or like how, (laughs) you know, wild this is. And like, if anything, isn't that hotter? If it's like, wow, like, I can't believe like he can like make me feel this way. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's just realism that needs to happen to like encourage healthy discussions about sexuality Mm -hmm. amongst readership so hopefully i have opened that door a little bit tonight but yeah well since we're firmly in anthropology corner i'll just quickly tell you what the girlies on goodreads are saying overall this book has 3.79 stars it's got a little under 1500 reviews so a pretty small review pool compared to some of the other books that we've read. The majority of the reviews uh, were four stars, followed by five, and then three, and then two and one. Par for the course sort of distribution for, for these romance novels on Goodreads, I think. Let me tell you about what some people said. So this review from a book nook, uh, they gave it five stars, and they said, I am a whore for second chance romance, a marriage of convenience, diversity, and adventure. Good thing this book has all four. Let me stop you right there. Would we call this a second chance romance? <laughs> I can't remember if I mentioned this in my synopsis, but when they were children, they were like intended to be wed. Like someday. 11 years old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they did not have a romance when they were kids. They were just kids hanging out and they were like friends. And right. Well, it's like, well, first in her perspective, Ravenna's like, I hated his fucking guts. And then she's like, actually, he was my friend. And then yeah, she's he was like, my beloved actually, friend. I was in love with him the whole time. Yeah. So what was actually going on there is 
completely unclear, but they were not having a romance. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is a marriage of convenience, though. Uh, you know, uh, forced marriage, forced proximity. Uh, if you're into that kind of trope, a lot of the girlies on Goodreads who like those tropes liked this book, unsurprisingly. So a little bit further down this review, she says... Ravenna was brave, adventurous, and badass in the best ways. I always get a little skeptical of Eris heroines. Whoa. Eris <laughs> heroines. <laughs> oh, I was about to say Harris, and then I was like, fuck. Okay. Well, that's okay. This reviewer actually spells Ravenna's name Ravina the entire review, mm-hmm. which is how my brain wanted to pronounce her name, like, the entire book. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, just breaking our brains. Okay. Should I re-record that or should we keep it? No, we're definitely keeping that. Okay. (laughs) Okay, skeptical because it is very easy to make them annoying, but she was so unique and wonderfully written. Ravenna and Cortland had explosive chemistry. It was palpable. Howard is such a master at writing that kind of chemistry, and this book did not disappoint. You guys know I love when heroes are head over heels gone for the heroine and see her as this equal. Cortland Mm. delivered. Um, so I, I'm sorry to a book nook, but I, <laughs> I'm pressing my little I, button now. I'm just not, I don't agree with you. I don't think we've read the same book. Um, <laughs> he eventually sees her as a person. <laughs> if, if that's the bar, then. Yeah. Um, Yay. She says the battles of sexism and racism were wonderfully written. Um, Again, I will say this particular experience of racism at this particular time, I would say is probably handled well. Yeah. Um, based on my limited knowledge of, you know, mm-hmm. that history. So again, if you're looking for that kind of thing, could be interesting. Yeah. Okay, so Catherine gave this book five stars. And one of the things that she liked about it is they were both stubborn and set in their ways, which caused some hiccups in their love story. Ravenna was not interested in society's laws or decorum. It was fun to watch how she would deliberately disobey social decorum. I enjoyed that she was fiery and her own person. And I feel like this is like what we were sort of talking about earlier that Lena was alluding to is like this weird mismatch between them where like we have this woman who is genuinely like very much like girl bossing her way around things or trying to, you know, like she's like, she's done this crazy thing of like cross-dressing and and sneaking around pretending to be a man. She's in the casino. She's gambling. She's like constantly sort of saying like, I don't care what people think. Like, let them all talk. I don't care about the gossip. I don't care about my reputation. Like, whatever. Um, And then we have Cortland who is like very much not... (laughs) He he doesn't want to rock the boat in that same way that mm-hmm. she does, which is weird. And I think it's interesting because actually a good number of the reviews that I read through did seem to talk about how, like, they loved how, like, unconventional this couple was, like, both of them in their own different ways. And it's like, I don't... Because he had a black great-grandmother? Yeah, like, I, he's not doing anything to, like, put middle fingers up to the to the tongue, as they say, you well, know? Well, well, and also I'm just like... He just exists. Ravenna has, like, a combative personality, but at the right. end of the day, she's in this story because... 
she believes in saving her rep reputation like more than she believes in like literally doing what she wants with her life. Yeah. So, like, like she did not in fact like sneak away in the night to go dress up as a boy again and live her life, you know? Like, right. She, there would not be a did. book if she actually like was strong willed. And um, you know, when he's like, you have to stay in the house and whatever, like she's like, Ugh, but like she does <laughs> pretty much like she sneaks out once. And like not to complain that there's a ton of water in the ocean, but, like, there is no class solidarity in the Regency romance. Um, yeah. You know, like, it does seem to all be in the service of, like, well, as long as he still gets to be a duke. Like, as long as he still gets to be in the House of Lords. And it's, like, I have trouble signing on to a, like, girl boss narrative or a racially diverse narrative when it's, like, well, you know, at least... <laughs> there's a guy with a black great-grandmother in the House of Lords. Yeah. It's like, awesome. Ah. <laughs> like, have we considered that the House of Lords is bad? Like, Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's absolutely... I think, I think this book is trying to say something, but it's not quite sure what it's trying to say. Yeah. Um, and so that's... It feels very wishy-washy in a lot of ways. I feel like it brings up the same issue I had with A Princess for Christmas, where it's like... We want to do the monarchy fantasy thing, mm -hmm. but like, but we also want to be like, but um, we know the monarchy's bad. Like, we're we know it's bad, guys. right? I feel it's like, of course, let's criticize society on like this level of racism and sexism, but like, let's not criticize sort of like the chief mechanism that mm -hmm. drives like those social structures. Yeah, let's criticize it on an interpersonal level, yes. but not on a structural level. Right, this is the issue here. Mm. Oops. Oh. What? Hey. <laughs> that it? Um, okay, I do want to read one more review before we close. This is by Nenia. I might be mispronouncing that. It's N-E-N-I-A, who gave it two stars. She said, I had high hopes for rules for heiresses, even though I didn't like the princess stakes. For starters, childhood friends to enemies to lovers. Also, a Creole hero who's ambivalent about assuming the dukedom, and a heroine who likes to dress in drag. There's a lot about this book that I felt I should have loved, but it didn't really work for me. I just didn't feel like there was enough tension and it felt kind of like it was too modern and too precious. I think she's hit on a lot of things here. Like yeah. I, when I opened this book up and it was like, this girl's in drag and not, she didn't just pin her hair up. Like she actually cut it out. Like she's rocking a freaking pixie cut in 1864 for yeah. the entirety of this book. Like she was serious about this <laughs> ploy, you know? Um, like she's got a full like fake mustache. Like she's doing the whole thing. Um, but it's just like stakes dissolved. Dissolved. Her instantly. mom is literally like, that haircut looks good on you. I'm like, she can't even get shit about the hair. Like, <laughs> like she's supposed to be doing these like radical things, but literally nobody reacts yeah. to her like they're actually radical at all because she is an aristocrat and can yes. actually do whatever the fuck she wants. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, I, yeah, the first 40 pages, I was like, oh, are we like walking into a, a like Mulan situation? Yeah, where I know. Got, I was like, like, okay. Some kind of like gay t-boy energy going like <laughs> but like <laughs> it drops real yeah, quick he's not like two seconds later they're like back in london and she's like you know playing the piano forte and, and her like cross-stitching yeah yeah <laughs> like and also it's this weird again having your cake and eating it too where like ravenna apparently looks like a convincing boy and he's like i can't believe this young lad is like trying to best me and then like because she calls him by his childhood nickname and he's like, you can't put me in the stocks like I'm female. Like, he's like, oh, now that I know that you're female, you have like the most kissable lips I've ever seen. Yeah, and I'm like, like, well, hang on. Now. I'm sorry. But like, if you're attracted to this person's body, like, 
what they say like about their identity like should not really affect that uh-huh. like like I'm like I'm sorry you wanted to bone this boy yeah <laughs> like and like that would be so sexy and fun if we I had know. leaned into that at all but right I know yeah fuck it should have been a Mulan situation right uh missed opportunities seriously I'm writing writing a letter to the author now has anyone done a like you know scrubbed Mulan fanfic from like Shane's point of view where he's just like why do I feel so bloated about this little boy in my <laughs> camp man like someone do it someone do it I would read that's the only straight romance that I would willingly like be running to Something the story about him just hits different yeah I actually think that there's some sort of like a trans pride and prejudice mm. thing. I feel like I read something about this. I will circle back on this and Lena can put it in the show notes or something when I okay. figure out what this book is. Um, but I, I did see something about that and I was like, oh, mm. um, it's, what's going it's on like, there? If we're going to play with gender, like let's really play. Like yeah. It's literally just like a costume she puts on and takes off, which she can do because she can literally do whatever she wants because, say it with me now, She's, She's an, an aristocrat. aristocrat. <laughs> I actually said it with her now this time, guys. Are you so proud of me? Progress. <sighs> All right. Well, I think that about does it for us tonight. It's past our bed. Well, it's past my bedtime. It's about Lena's time to start beginning the rest of her <laughs> part two of her day. Crawling around the apartment like a rat. <laughs> Um, but my love, uh, what are you reading right now besides uh, trashy romance audiobooks? Uh, well, as I've said, you can't read audiobooks. Um, so <laughs> what I'm reading with my actual eyeballs is uh, Toad by Catherine Dunn. She, who wrote the much acclaimed Geek Love back in the 70s, I want to say. Um, this is like her unpublished manuscript that has been posthumously published and it was like a kind of a big deal and i don't know you might have seen it in a lot of bookstores it has a caterpillar on fire on the cover it's uh good shit some good cover design but it's like sort of lampooning rich kids who like to act like they're poor at reed college in um (laughs) like the late 60s early 70s and like the misogyny of the free love movement so i am sold yeah um i'm only like 40 pages in but like (laughs) as someone who who was a part of the five college consortium of which hampshire college is also a part um some stuff is hitting yeah some stuff is ringing true uh it's it's entertaining thus far and then before that as i mentioned i had read Babel by rf kwong not having to do with the hugo awards controversy stuff that's been happening with that it just happened to come off of my holds around the same time that (laughs) all that stuff was popping off at the end of the day i did not personally think that the way that kwong sort of handled the tension throughout the plot kept me engaged or like I, i felt like the stakes were kind of dissolved again like fairly early on especially if like we're talking about a biracial character who's benefiting materially from colonialism but has been like divorced forcibly from his homeland like he gets to the place where he's benefiting from colonialism and then (laughs) someone's like hey did you know colonialism's bad and he's immediately (laughs) like oh like word like there's no (laughs) real like he he reckons with it like a little bit like later on but i just wish like that tension had been drawn out and like there had had been addressed a little bit more in depth it felt like that book was more about the ideas than the actual characters and another example of this is that like 
these college students basically don't have love lives at all. <laughs> There's like kind of a weird love triangle thing happening, but like she devotes like five sentences total to it. And I'm just like, please, like I know even in the 19th century, like these people were fucking around. Like, so yeah, it, it felt more conceptual than it did sort of like humanistic. And that doesn't necessarily work for me particularly as a reader, but you know, I'm glad I read it so I can engage in the discourse. Yeah. What have you been reading? So I, I think I mentioned the last time that we recorded this, that I had just received like seven books in from the library. Um, and I made it through all of them except for one before I had to return them. So I'm feeling really proud of myself because Lena has been chastising me for my uh, returning things late um, or not picking up my holds fast enough. I'm trying to be better about it. But I finished recently uh, The Twilight Zone by Nona Fernandez, uh, translated by Natasha Wimmer. And it's really great, set in the 1980s in Chile during Pinochet's dictatorship. And it's really, it centers on like the atrocities of torture and all of the, the horrors that come along with that and the secrecy and the disappearing people and all of that. And it, it sort of is through the lens of the narrator who was obsessed with The Twilight Zone TV show at the same time and is like, you know, sort of understanding the things that she is coming to know are true about the world post this dictatorship period. And like, as the truth comes out and like, it's just sort of like living in the twilight zone, like living in this unreality of the horrible world that we actually live in. So <laughs> real upper. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really great. But very though. cool concept. It's yeah, yeah. really great. Um, I really recommend it. Um, and then I just started reading Grease Paint by Hannah Levine, which is, I'm literally only like 15 pages into it, but I'm already pretty delighted. It's set in uh, the 1950s and it follows like a group of butch friends who are all like piano playing Yiddish anarchists. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, fuck yeah. It's also, it's written in a way that is almost like the cadence of it. It feels very like along with the song and dance thing. It's like hmm. written mostly in dialogue and not a lot of dialogue tags and kind of like one long paragraph like it's like a play without line breaks um which sounds horrible but it's really good <laughs> okay um, it's readable it's readable um huh. and there's something kind of like the phrases just like snap off of each other in a in a lyrical kind of way wow um yeah, I'm literally, again, I literally just started it, um, but I've been excited about it since I found out about this book last year. So it just came out, I think, in January. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. I'm excited to, to beat on through it. I'm sure it'll be a fast read for me. So yeah, that's it for me this week. Where can we find you online, Lena? You can find me online uh, on Instagram at Lena L. Wilson and then on Patreon, also under the handle Lena L. Wilson, where I post weekly film reviews. Actually, if you start now, you will get a little more bang for your buck because in the transition of my professional life, getting another day job, blah, 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 I fell behind on my weekly reviews, and so now I'm publishing two a week. So if you want a special little bonus deal, go check that out. I'm also going to cover all of the uh, big Oscar nominees before the Oscars. Um, so if you want to read my in-depth reviews of all of those movies, uh, that is the only place you will be able to read them, is patreon.com slash Lena L. Wilson. The funds there also just generally help my freelancing life, which includes the production and editing of this very podcast. And then if you 
want to know more about my work, my journalism, my other writing projects in general, my website is lenawilson.work. I love where can people find you. You can find me on Instagram at Nadine Santoro, and my website is nadinesantoro.com. I also have a newsletter uh, called The Doorway, which you can also find via my Instagram or my website. And there is a snail mail component for paid subscribers, sending out two snail mail letters with little goodies in them twice a month. So yeah, get on that if you like snail mail and if you are interested in creative practice. And you can find us, Thinking Straight, at Thinking Straight Pod on Instagram, and you can email us at thinkingstraightpod at gmail.com. All right. It's 11.11. Make a wish. <laughs> and stay spicy. I wish to stay spicy. <laughs> <laughs> and so you shall.